This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Just a few scriptures, first of all. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to be reading from verse 12. Peter said, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And then chapter 3 of the same book. Verses 1 and 2. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. And then a little book of Jude, just before Revelation, verse 5 of Jude. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And then lastly, in (coughs) Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. What a strange mysterious faculty of the mind is memory. What a catalog of files and records and pictures and thoughts and sights and sounds and smells are all locked away in the vaults of our memory. Scenes of long ago childhood days can instantly flash before us and appear in the canvas of the screen of our mind as it were. But memory is a two-edged sword, is it not? It can cut as well as cure. It can hurt as well as it heals. It can comfort us, but it can condemn us. It can bless us or it can blight us. Memory can be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy. It can bring smiles or tears, laughter or lamenting, sorrow or sweetness. However, for the most part, Remembering, recalling, recollecting is a powerful force for good in our lives. Sanctified memory can be a tremendous blessing. And the Bible has much to say about remembering, and that's why I read those several scriptures, and there's many more. And all of these scriptures we read together, the writers are encouraging us to remember to recall, to bring to mind. Remember the gospel. Remember the foundations of our faith. Remember what you have been taught. Remember the fact 
that Christ saved us and he blessed us and he changed us. And in fact, because the writers are encouraging us again and again and again to remember, would tell us how easily it is for us to forget. Okay, remember what? Remember what? On the basis of what those writers said, remember the message of the gospel. After years of this, behind this pulpit, of me telling you again and again that everything we hold sacred and dear as believers would come under attack, it's happening on a daily basis right now. More and more we see Christ being expunged uh, from what is supposed to be a Christian country. Now we just had the Advent season and it's been reported that only one in 100 Christmas cards on the high street has any reference to Christ or the nativity. Only one in 100. In fact, you almost have to go into the Faith Mission bookshop <coughs> to get a Christian Christmas card. Some cities and some towns across the water, particularly for a while, were doing away with Christmas completely and calling it Winterville and Festival of Lights, anything only Christmas. Christmas Christian faith schools uh, now are coming under pressure uh, to admit Christian faith schools, which are supposed to be Christian faith schools, are now under pressure to admit those of other faiths and those of no faith whatsoever. Kind of defeats the purpose of the whole thing, doesn't it? And so because of political expediency and political correctness, Christianity is being quietly airbrushed out of society. And what the government calls our great British values has taken precedence over our great Christian heritage. I would rather have our great Christian heritage than our great Christian values, our great British values, because our great British values hasn't got much Christian values anymore, sad to say. Every Christian value regarding marriage, regarding sex, has been jettisoned in favor of a progressive mindset. Lots of political parties today, both here and around the world, call themselves progressive. We are progressive. In other words, all that Judeo-Christian stuff from the past, we have ditched that because we're modern, we're outlooking, we're forward thinking, so we're progressive. I would call it permissive rather than progressive. But that's the way that it is. No time for the unchanging eternal truths of God's word. Even the terrestrial TV God slots, (laughs) they invariably are run by non-Christians or agnostics or even Muslims and Sikhs have been the head of BBC Christian programming. Can you believe that? Christianity is an easy target, isn't it? We don't have suicide bombers. We don't issue fatwas. We don't have jihad. We're law-abiding. We're non-violent. We're conscientious. We're non-threatening. But does government reward us for that? In fact, we are being increasingly victimized for our beliefs. Consider that Britain and Ireland have now legalized same-sex marriage enshrined in law. Abortion on demand 
enshrined in law. Wales has a no-smacking policy in law. The, the government of Scotland has tried to push uh, this named guardian bill, which gives everybody else the rights over your kids more than you've got the right over your kids. Can you imagine that? Whether that be a teacher, whether it's a doctor, whether it's a solicitor, whether it's somebody else that your child can go to rather than you. <coughs> and they're trying to bring that into law. The UK government is going to put forward a, apparently a, a no-divorce bill. So in other words, it's going to become easier to get divorced rather than more difficult. All of that together, as you can see, is chipping away continually at the great institution of marriage, which is a God idea that has been the, the bedrock of society for thousands of years. And today, it's being constantly eroded by various governments. Hate laws are being used and abused to stifle any debate or any disagreement regarding any of these things. I, I was just saying to somebody the other day in church, I wonder how long it will be. And, and we use gift aid in here. We use gift aid a lot, as most churches do, uh, because we get tax back on your giving, which is a lovely big check at the end of the year. But I wonder how long it will be. I don't think it's going to be too long until demands are made upon churches to accept certain rules and regulations. Because if you're going to be a charity, then you're going to have to have British values. And you're going to have to accept this and this and this and this. And if you don't accept it, then you can't be a charity. And so I think there's coming a time, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later, whenever we'll be asked to sign on the dotted line. And you know what? We're not going to sign it. Yeah, that's right. We're not going to sign it. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost. We are not going to sign that. But that's the way that it's coming. And that's coming down the road, I feel, pretty soon. In a recent report uh, just out this past week, it says that Christians are the most persecuted religious people on the face of the earth. There's been more Christians persecuted in the 20th century than all the other centuries put together. And it's increasing in the 21st century. The leadership of China under the president for life, president of China, has now issued all kinds of draconian laws against Christians so that you can't even worship in your own house. You can't tell your children about Christ. You can't hold services except and unless it's a three-self church, which is a regulated church. Christian, yes, but regulated under the communist regime. But outside of that, they're not bulldozing churches, they're closing them down, they're imprisoning people simply for holding church in their home or for trying to win somebody to Christ. And it's becoming widespread in China. In fact, the Chinese government today is wanting to rewrite the Bible with Chinese communist values, not Judeo-Christian values. And so that's happening right today. Why am I saying this today? This doesn't sound too positive coming into a new year, does it? Well, if ever we need to remember the message, it's right now. 
if ever we need to remind ourselves of the great doctrines of grace and justification and sanctification and redemption and the fallibility and the errancy of Scripture, it's today, right now, we need to know this. We need to remember the cardinal truths of Christ's miraculous birth, of his perfect life, of his atoning death, of his great resurrection, of his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We need to remind ourselves of all of this and understand and know it. We need to hold fast, as the writer said, to the profession of our faith without wavering. In Jude 3 it says, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. We are going to have to contend earnestly for our faith because there's an enemy out there and there's society today that's trying to destroy it. I'm grateful for our sovereign, the Queen. I, I don't know of any sovereign over Christmas period or prime minister or president that actually glorified and lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ, as she did. The Christian Institute wrote a little article. It says, Her Majesty, Her Majesty the Queen has used her Christmas message to speak plainly of the ongoing and vital significance of the coming of Christ. In the face of attempts to marginalize Christian belief, the Queen spoke of the truth of the Bible's account of Jesus' birth as one which is never out of date. The Queen's traditional Christmas message was seen by around 6.4 million people, making it the most watched program of Christmas Day. What an opportunity to reach over 6 million people. And thank God in that opportunity, she mentions Christ. Having reflected on a busy year for her family, Her Majesty chose to recognize the importance of her faith, along with family and friendship, as a source of personal comfort and reassurance over the years. With characteristic directness, the monarch 92 concluded by asking the millions listening and watching to consider Christ. Here's what she said. The Christmas story retains its appeal since it doesn't provide theoretical explanations for the puzzles of life. Instead, it's about the birth of a child and the hope that that birth 2,000 years ago brought to the world. Only a few people acknowledged Jesus when he was born. Now billions follow him. I believe his message of peace on earth and goodwill to all is never out of date. It can be heeded by everyone. It's as much needed as ever. Glory to God. And so thank God for somebody in a position of influence and power can speak up for Christ at Christmas time. Now we need some balance in our preaching. We always must endeavor to make it practical. But people have needs. Needs have got to be met. People have got to be shown how to live their life in a Christian way. And their needs will be met. Yet we must be careful that going along that road that we take that too far, that our preaching becomes more psychological than theological. And lots of preaching today is much more psychological than theological. Oftentimes you can listen to a preacher for an hour without ever opening your Bible and hardly a scripture ever mentioned, if at all. And you end up with a generation of believers that are so dumbed down in what they believe, they live by how they feel rather than what they know. That day, friends, is over. <laughs> it's over. We better know what we believe. 
we're living in days when we have to really understand what we believe because it's going to be tested and it's going to be ridiculed and it's going to be laughed at. And our kids that's going to school and college and university, they're the ones that's going to be in the coal face. They're the ones that's going to have to stand tall in what they believe. And if we don't tell them what to believe, and if our, as families, if we don't get that into them, then when they face that, they're in for a rough ride. They need to know what they believe. But Christianity is still a very practical belief. It needs to be lived out on a daily basis. See, one of the things Muslims scoff at Christians for is this. You see, a Muslim, that, that is a, a, a Muslim who is a practicing Muslim, could we say. Every part of their life is dictated by Islam. Every part. Their family, their job, their career, their business, their education, what they eat where they go, their social life, all of it. And they look at Christians and say, well, those Christians go to church on Sunday, and that's their religion on Sunday, but the rest of the week, they're not very Christian. Our Christian life has to be lived out every day and in every way. And it ought to affect our family, our jobs, our careers, our education, our future uh, ambitions. It ought to reflect all of that. It ought to reflect how we raise our kids and our marriages. All of that has got to be seen in our Christian life. And all of that must be built upon what we truly believe in God's Word. Now, the reason why the apostles was writing those scriptures... The reason why is because they lived in a counter-culture, non-Christian society. They lived under, the church was birthed in pagan Rome, and it grew and it multiplied in pagan societies. They had to live amongst that every single day of their lives, and they had to affect that, and they had to reflect their Christian values in the midst of all of that. So... That's why they're telling them, remember, recall, bring to mind. Don't forget what you've been taught. Because every day they lived with the opposite of that was in their face every day. Much like us even in this generation right now. And so, making our Christianity practical and personal First of all, keep in memory the message of the gospel. Secondly, keep in memory the mercies of God. Let me read to you Lamentations 3, 21 and 23. This I recall to my mind. This I recall to my mind. It's as if the writer is remembering. Maybe he had forgotten it or hadn't thought about it for a while, but now he's remembering. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It is so important to remember the mercies 
of God. Why? Because if we don't, we become cynical. And if we had a hard time or a rough patch and you don't remember the mercies of God, then you become cynical and unbelieving. So the writer says, remember the mercies of God. They're new and they're fresh every day. So get to remember them. Think about them. That's what he's saying. In Malachi, the little book of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, it opens up with the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, I loved, and Esau I hated, and laid waste his mountains, his heritage for jackals of the wilderness. Then down to verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? I've often said and I repeat it. Hmm. If Christians would start to treat the church the way they treat work, the church would be a lot different. Let me just say this this morning. This morning at 11 o'clock, which is nearly lunchtime, it's closer to lunchtime than breakfast time, do you know how many people was in church here at 11 o'clock this morning? I was going to say before it started, there'll be at least a third not in. Probably was only a third in. Would you ever think of doing that at your workplace? I don't think so. God said, would your governor like that? I don't think so. He says, you bring the lame and the blind to sacrifice to me? Do you think your boss would like that? I don't think so. Why should we treat believers, why should we treat, church, why should we treat work better than we treat church? You say, well, it's only church. It's only church. It should be the most important thing in your life. Not the least important thing. You don't just come when it's convenient or you feel like it if you're in the notion. Would you do that at your workplace? I don't think so. You wouldn't be in it very long, would you? You'd be called into the office. And you see, it had got to the stage here with Malachi's writing that the people themselves had become indifferent. They become blasé. They become forgetful of God's goodness. They had stopped remembering how God had blessed them. And they were saying, well, in effect, they're saying, well, God, when did you bless me? <coughs> really? <laughs> when did you bless me? 
And, and, and you see, if you become forgetful and you don't remember and you don't recount and you don't recall and you don't count your many blessings, you can become like that. Because then when trouble comes or a crisis comes or you had a bad patch, then you forget the goodness of God. And so he has a controversy with them, doesn't he? And he says, would your governor accept that? Would he take that? I don't think so. And so, the human heart is such that unless we constantly remind ourselves, we so easily forget the tokens of God's blessings. Do you ever sit down at home in the quiet of your room and just for five minutes just begin to think of the goodness of God in your personal life and how much God has blessed you Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done because we forget. And it's a good practice to do, just to sit there and just think, now, Lord, I'm going to thank you for your blessings in my life. And before you know it, stuff will come to your mind that you had long since forgotten about. Maybe you blessed God about it years ago, but you're thinking again. You say, Lord, you know what? I thank you for that day you came into my life. I thank you for that moment whenever you met my need. I thank you for that day, Lord, when you broke through in my life, or whatever the case may be, when you saved my family, my son, my daughter, when you saved me. And you begin to bless God because you remember the blessings of God. And our present circumstances are so easy to forget, isn't it? And then to think that God doesn't see or God doesn't care. And that's what was happening in Malachi's day. But he does say and he does care. We have to remind ourselves of God's mercies every day because the Bible says they're due every morning. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, And in verse 7, it says, Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shein and called its name Ebenezer, or a stone of help, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Isn't that good? Thus far. The Lord has helped us. The Lord has never let us down. The Lord has always been there for us. Right up to this very day, he said, the Lord has helped us. And if the Lord has helped us right up to this very day, surely he can help us tomorrow and the next day and for the rest of our lives. 
and he set up a stone and call it Mizpah, a stone of help, a stone to remember so that people can look at it and say, thus far the Lord has helped us. Tell me this. Have you got an Ebenezer? Can you remember a stone of help in your life? Can you look back on some red letter day, some high water mark, Someday, somehow, whenever you didn't think you could get through it, you couldn't do this. It wouldn't work, but it did. And God got you through, and God helped you, and you raised up an Ebenezer, something to look back on and say, God, you were with me then, you're with me now. God, you helped me there, you'll help me then. You have to look back and say, thank God he was with us so you can look forward and trust him for the next time. We need to remember the mercies of God, to be encouraged, to be inspired, to strengthen our faith, to give us faith, to give us fresh hope. Jonah said this, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came unto you into your holy temple. When Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, when he was in that great big washing machine being tumbled around, and his head was spinning, and it was dark. But whenever he got out of that fish, he went on to fulfill God's plan. But right in the middle of it, when things was at its darkest and its blackest and its worst, he said, I remembered the Lord. And we need to remember the Lord in our difficult times. Did you ever take out the old photo album? And you have a wee, there's a good Ulster Scots word, you have a wee hook through. And you pick out old photographs. And you look at him and her 50 years ago and you're thinking, well, there's a handsome couple there. Who are they? Oh, it's, it was us 50 years ago. <laughs> Hardly recognize yourselves. Or you pick out a family member or an event or a trip or a holiday or the birth of your child or whatever the case may be and those memories come flooding back and they bring a smile to your face. It's amazing how we can remember those moments when you see a photograph. Do you have a spiritual album that you can bring out, that you can flick through, that you can remember, that you can look back on to that day, that hour, that moment that was special. You need a spiritual album to look back at. Psalm 103. We're going to be winding up with this. Psalm 103. Psalm has said, verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or punished us according to our iniquities. Thank God. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. For as a man, his days are like grass, as a flower of a field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and his place remembers it no more. 
but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Glory to God. Here we have the dimensions of God's mercy. The dimensions of God's mercy. Look at the height of it. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. You don't need to turn to this, but let me just turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And Hebrews chapter 7, verse 20. Well, 22 you'll read. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. The mercy of God is higher than the heavens. How high are the heavens? We have no idea. But the mercy of God is as high as the heavens. The breadth of God's mercy. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. I've always said there's a north pole and a south pole, but there's no east pole or west pole. You can't measure it. It's unending. It's forever. Thank God for the breadth of God's mercy. In Isaiah 53, the Bible says he has borne our sins. He has borne them. He has carried them. He has taken the weight of them and he's borne them away. Hebrews 9 says he has put away our sin or he has borne it away. Where to? To Calvary, to the cross. That place where the slate has been wiped clean, where every sin you ever committed has been cancelled, gone forever. And then there's a depth. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. As the father pities his children, is there a better, more beautiful, more poignant moment in the New Testament when the prodigal returns? When the father who has been diligently every day scanning the horizon, waiting to see if his son would return. And in that wonderful moment, when he sees his son 
and he runs towards him and he puts his fatherly arms around him and he kisses him and kisses him, kisses him and he's stinking, he's filthy, he's just out of the pig pen but it's his son and he's returned and he's rejoicing over that. What an image, what an image of the forgiveness of God. What an image of the depth of God's forgiveness for us. It's too deep for us to fully ever grasp and understand. We just have to receive it and accept it, haven't we? You know, the thing about the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to fully get your head around. It's always better than you imagine. It's always deeper than you'd think. It's always greater than you could ever possibly think. Do you remember Ahab in the Old Testament? We talked about him the other week. Do you remember he was the most wicked king of Israel that ever lived? Wicked than all the kings ever before him. Married to an equally wicked queen, Jezebel. What a diabolical twosome they were. And how that there was that poor farmer Naboth who had a little vineyard, a little piece of land beside Ahab's summer residence and he wanted it so desperately and so badly. He had all the land at his disposal but that little patch he couldn't get and he wanted it desperately and his wife got it and murdered that poor man. And the prophet Elijah came to him because he had done that. He says, the dogs will lick your blood Will they lick Naboth's blood? And the dogs will eat the flesh of your wife. <laughs> and you may say, well, good on the prophet. He's getting his comeuppance at last. He deserves all of it and more. <laughs> Have no mercy on him. He's a wicked king. But you know, when he got that message, when you read that story, he went into his room and he got on his knees. And he humbled himself before God. And he put on sackcloth. And he began to mourn. And God went back to the prophet and says, Look, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Go back and tell him. I'm not going to bring it in his day, but in his son's days. Even for the most wicked king of all Israel, there was a measure of grace and mercy. It's hard to understand, isn't it? When God shows mercy to somebody you shouldn't think have any mercy on. But it's bigger and greater and deeper and wider than we could ever imagine. Nebuchadnezzar, that great king of Babylon, had puffed himself up till he thought he was God himself. And in Daniel 4, God humbles him to the dust. And for seven years, he's out in the wilderness eating grass like an ox. And his fingers nails drew like the talons of an eagle. Until he repented. Until he truly humbled himself. And God raised him up again. <laughs> See, the mercy of God is wonderful, isn't it? I told you the other Sunday about Jonah and how that when he eventually, eventually delivered the message to the Ninevites, whom he despised and hated because they were a wicked, evil nation that were wicked and evil against God's people. And he wanted God to destroy them, not to forgive them. But God's heart was to forgive if they would humble themselves, if they would repent. And so he delivered his message yet 40 days. But in 40 days, they did humble themselves and they did repent. And God gave them another 100 years 
he spared them for another hundred years. Such is the mercy of God, the depths of God's mercy. And then we see in verse 17 the length of God's mercy. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. On those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. From everlasting to everlasting. 26 times in Psalm 136, the psalmist praises God and says, for his mercy endures forever. 26 times. The needle in the record got stuck when he thought about the mercy of God and he just kept saying over and over and over and over again, the mercy of God endures forever. Glory to God. Ah. So many scriptures. Henry Ward Beecher, that great old preacher of old, he said, We are most like beasts when we kill, we're most like men when we judge, but we're most like God when we forgive. Because God is a forgiving God, He's a merciful God. His mercy endures forever. And so in your mess up, in your blunders, in your sin, in your big mistake, is it too big for God to forgive? Is it too big for God's mercy? I don't think so. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. Because sometimes we do sin and we do fail and we do mess up and we do blunder. And oftentimes, even though we ask God for forgiveness, we make a big rod for our own backs over that. And we need to say, God, your mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. That's greater than I can ever imagine. I know I don't deserve any of it, but thank you for giving it to me. Glory to God. We're most like God whenever we forgive. There's other scriptures, but I'm going to leave them. I think you get the message. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us remember two things today, to remember your message and to remember your mercy. Help us never to forget your truth and to have a solid foundation in our Christian lives that we're not soon shaken with every wind that blows. Lord, we're not in and out and up and down, but Lord, we are steady so that we could be able to say, like Paul said, none of these things move me. Help us to remember your mercy. Lord, we need your mercy. We often need your forgiveness because we feel and we blunder and we sin. But thank you, Lord, that your mercy is great and your grace is free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you love us that much that you're willing, you're so willing, like Micah says, to abundantly pardon us. You're not stingy in your forgiveness, but you're so merciful. So Lord, help us, Lord, to end this year and go into a new year remembering your message and to remember your mercies so that we may live a life that's consistent 
and faithful and upright and a testimony to your goodness and mercy. And we'll give you thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.